Well, our passage today in the book of Philippians is a bit different. In fact, if you aren't careful, you could, you could think of it was kind of a, a letdown compared to some of the other passages that, that we've read in the book of Philippians. You would almost be tempted to skip it because to this point, we've covered some really incredible truths from God's word in the book of Philippians. We've seen how Paul's sufferings have been used to advance the gospel. We've considered his powerful declaration that to live is Christ and to die is gain. We've been challenged by the example of Christ himself in that beautiful hymn of chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, when we see Jesus in humility take on flesh and become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And we've been challenged as a people to be lights in a dark world. Some some really incredible stuff. And there's more incredible stuff to come as we we finish up the book of Philippians. But right in the middle of all of this soul-stirring truth, right in the middle of some of the most powerful declarations in all of Scripture that were written by Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we find a travelogue. We see Paul offering some notes about the the comings of go goings of his ministry partners and Paul himself. He's he's just given some updates at least on the surface about when Timothy and Epaphroditus are going to be traveling. And the question we got to ask ourselves is why? Why would Paul put a travelogue here at this point? and the progression of the book of Philippians. Of course, anytime there's a travelogue, there's a practical reason. Paul needs to tell the Philippian church why Epaphroditus is coming now, and that Timothy will come later, and Paul will be delayed even more, because that's how you communicated back then. Maybe many of you remember, not all the way back to early first century AD, but you remember a time when you couldn't just pick up a phone and call somebody anywhere. You couldn't just send them a text message or, or message them on social media. You had to use snail mail, right? But at least you had a post office. They had to use their friends. They had to use their companions to be able to communicate these very practical uh, things that they wanted to communicate, information about when they would travel. But there's another reason as well. And this reason is signified to us by the location of a travelogue in the book. Typically, a travelogue would come at the end, right? Like just some, some final notes of, hey, you know, here's all this wonderful gospel truth. And just by the way, I'll be coming to you soon, I hope. I'm longing for you. I'd love to, I'd love to see you soon, that my joy may be complete. Normally, that would come at the end. But here, it's in the middle. Why? Because Paul wants to communicate something to us in the travelogue. He wants to communicate to us the same stuff he's been communicating to us. There's something about this travelogue and the guys who are involved in the travelogue that serve his larger purpose and what he's trying to communicate to the Philippian church. And here's what it is. Paul is going to show us today that Timothy and Epaphroditus are living examples of the kind of Christ-like life that we have been called to. This kind of life where 
to live as Christ and to die as gain. This kind of life where everything that happens to us, we we ask the question how it can be used to serve the advancement of the gospel. This this mindset that we've been called to, to to be like Jesus, to have minds of humility that consider the, the good of the church, the good of the people of God, the good of Christ above ourselves. All these things that Paul has been challenging the church to be, he's been challenging us to be. Timothy and Epaphroditus fully embody. And so Paul is sending them, not just to communicate some information. He's sending them to be examples of Christ's likeness, living embodiments of what they are called to be as the people of God. In Timothy and Epaphroditus, these godly examples, we have a clear picture of what it means to live like Christ. They are living illustrations. Now, I want to be careful here. We're not worshiping Timothy and Epaphroditus. we got to remember they are flawed men, just like everybody else in this room. But what they serve, what they, they show us, is that God uses godly men and women in our lives to help us know how to put flesh on God's expectations for us. Isn't that true? Haven't you had people in your life, godly men and women, who have not only taught you with words about what it means to live like Christ, but have actually showed you through their their life, through their actions, what it means to be a follower of Christ. Well, Timothy and Epaphroditus are examples of this. They are godly examples that God has given to us as a gift to help us in the course of everyday ordinary life know what it's like to live like Christ. To not just have these these challenges and truths that only reside in our minds, but that show us how to put feet to our faith. Timothy and Epaphroditus are going to do this for the church in Philippi. And the question before us today is, who have these people been in our life? And are we serving as a Timothy or an Epaphroditus to someone else for the benefit of the church? So let's read together this travelogue. Philippians 2, 19 to 30, and see what the word of God says for us. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy, you know his proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as I, just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God has had mercy on him, and not only him, but also me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete 
what was lacking in your service to me. So here, we got two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, who have relationships to both Paul and the Philippian church who are living out the gospel. They are living like Christ for the good of the gospel. And Paul says, I want you to look at them and I want you to see their example. I want you to see how how they are embodying, they're embracing everything that I've challenged you to do. And then I want you to respond to their example. Look at their example and respond to their example. So let's do the same thing today. Let's look at their example and let's respond to their example. So the Christ-like example of Timothy and Epaphroditus. What are, what are some Christ-like characteristics that we see in Timothy and Epaphroditus that Paul would want replicated, multiplied within the people of God? I see two. First of all, these men love the people of God. They love the church. And I'm not talking like love the church like you love donuts. I'm talking deep, abiding love for the church. Timothy, Paul says, has genuine concern for the welfare of his church in verse 20. It's a kind of love that is genuinely, genuinely concerned to the point where he'd be willing to put their interests, which are ultimately the interest of Christ, above his own interest. A deep abiding concern for the well-being of the church. Epaphroditus has a longing for the people of God, as Paul longs for the people of God. So genuine concern tied to longing. That is the kind of love that these men have for the people of God and for different reasons. Timothy's not from Philippi. He's from another town called Lystra. But Timothy was with Paul, as you may remember, when the church in Philippi began. Timothy likely saw the conversion of Lydia. He heard about the incredible work of God in the life of the Philippian jailer when God miraculously delivered Paul from the, the bounds of, of prison. Timothy was a firsthand witness to the miraculous work of God that established this church. It, it could only have happened by work of the hand of God. And Timothy was there. He knows God's interest in this church because God was so instrumental in its founding. And so he, he has a genuine concern for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the work of Christ that this church move forward. He knows that their continued growth and their well-being is essential to the advancement of the gospel in this region. He loves them because he loves the work of the gospel. He loves the Lord. There's a, there's a kingdom interest here. There's also more than that. Some of his genuine concern is tied to his love for Paul because he knows that, that Paul needs encouragement and that he loves the Philippian people. He loves them deeply. There's a, there's a special bond between Paul and the Philippian church. And he knows that when Paul hears that they're, they're remaining steadfast in the faith, he, know when, he knows when Paul hears that they're, they're continuing, even though they're suffering, even though there's hardship, that will be an encouragement to Paul. He has genuine concern for them because of his love for Paul, which has in turn become a love for them. And then, of course, he loves them as brothers and sisters, as we're all called to. So there's, there's kind of three layers to, to Timothy's love for the church. He, he's driven by a love for Jesus that turns to a love for the people. He's driven, to, he's driven by a love for Paul 
And then he's driven by a love for the family of God. And he's coming to them as a leader sent by by Paul to make sure that they continue steadfastly in the church. And he will do that, not because of how it serves him, but because of how it serves something greater. Timothy loves this church. Epaphroditus is from Philippi. They are his people. They are his family. This is where his faith was formed. This is where his faith was fanned into flame. He loves them as his spiritual family. He's been separated by them, sent out by them to serve Paul as they committed to do. And along the way, his his separation was extended because he was very ill at the point of death. And Paul says the whole time he's been away from his family, he's been longing for them. Isn't that what you do when you're separated from family? Yesterday, Jordan and I were talking about uh, the first time that we were separated really from Jude, our our four-year-old. Some years ago, we, we had just come to, to First Baptist Church of Irving, and, and Wayne invited us to go skiing in Vail. And so I said, let me think about it. Yes. We'll go. And uh, so it was an awesome trip. We, we, played, we played games. I got to beat a lot of people in cards, including Casey Hearn. I, or not anymore. Not Casey Hearn anymore. Sorry. Yeah, Casey Myers. Sorry. Uh, at the time, she was Casey Hearn. Now she's Casey Myers and about to be a mom. I got to beat her in cards. Uh, and it, it was a lot of fun. We got to do some great skiing. It's a beautiful, beautiful trip. But, you know, we were gone like 10 days. And by the sixth or seventh day, I started not having as much fun. Because Jude wasn't with us. And I started thinking, I really want to see my kid, you know? Like, he was one and a half at the time, so he wasn't doing FaceTime very well. He didn't really understand all that. But even FaceTime's not good, as good as it is like being in person. Like, I need to feel him. I need to have a hug. I need to hear him say, Dad. At this kind of, I, I longed for him. And it made the... the the winding, um, try to think of a, of a really good word to say here, the, the, the casual glance of America that we took on the way home, uh, it made it difficult because, you know, everybody's taking their time, but I'm ready to go see my kid. I'm longing to be with him because that's what you do when you are separated from family. You have this longing because of a love that you have for them. And, and what what Paul is saying is that Epaphroditus has that kind of love for the church. That he, he longs to be with the people of God. When he's separated from them, he, he longs to be with them because he loves them. So there's this genuine concern piece and this, this longing that coupled together to, to show the kind of love that we are to have for the people of God. You see, Paul wants to show us that as followers of Christ, we should love the church. And he's giving us two examples of people who in different ways love the same people of God and, and challenging us to ask the question, do I have the same kind of genuine concern for the people of God that Timothy does? Do I have the same kind of longing for the people of God that Epaphroditus does? Do I, am I willing to, to place the good of others and the good of the church and ultimately the good of Christ above my my own interests, when I'm separated from the people of God for an extended period of time, am I longing for them? Or do I feel relief? Because I, I really didn't want to be a part of them to begin with. These men 
have genuine selfless love for the church. Why? Because they're striving to be like Jesus. And let me tell you something. Jesus loves the church. You know how I know that? Because the Bible calls her his bride. And he says, the Bible says, that, that Jesus loved the church in a greater way than a husband loves his bride. I love my wife. I'm going to do a lot for her. And my hope is everybody, every husband in this room who, who's married, would, well, if you're your husband, you're married, that you would love your wife, <laughs> right? That you genuinely love your wife. Jesus loved the church. And, and he says he loved him so much. Now I'm supposed to, to replicate that kind of love in my own home, that sacrificial love for my, in my own home. Jesus loved the church enough to die for her. Isn't that incredible? Has there ever been a greater display of love than what God did for us in Christ? God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This is how much Jesus loved us. He left the glory of heaven. He took on human flesh. He became a servant, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There's been no greater act of love than that. Talk about genuine concern. He didn't sit up in heaven and say, you know what, God, Father, Holy Spirit, as we're talking in perfect community, um, there's an issue on earth. I'm concerned about it. These people have sinned. They're going to be separated from us for eternity. And we probably need to do something about it and then go back to playing Candy Crush. That's just lip service. Right? That's not genuine concern. No, no, no. His concern led to action. His concern expressed itself in the greatest act of love that we have ever seen. So he can make a way for us to be with him for all of eternity. How incredible, how incredible this kind of love. And as Timothy and Epaphroditus are pursuing Christ's likeness, they have seen this kind of love well up within them. And the same thing is true with their mentor, Paul who's sitting in prison right now because of his love for the church. And he's so concerned with the church, more than his own well-being, that while he's about to face death, he's writing to them to encourage them to make sure that his death doesn't end or lead to them being so discouraged that they give up the faith. Their interests more than his. How incredible this kind of love for the church. Do you love the church? Do you have this this genuine love for the church, this longing for the church. If you are in Christ, you should, because you can't love Jesus and not love his bride. You can't. You can't talk about my wife and us be okay, right? If you love Jesus, you're going to love his church. The second thing, their example, look at their example. They love the church, but they also are willing to sacrifice for the church. Their, their love was a sacrificial love. Their love was a costly love. So Timothy loves Paul and the church at Philippi enough that he's willing to travel a very long way. I was trying to figure out the the distance at that time 
or the, the length of distance between uh, Rome, which is likely where Paul is, and Philippi. And one of the commentators I looked at said that the, the, the trip, if you went over land, the roads that were there, and sea, was probably a thousand miles. And if weather was good, it could take you six weeks. If weather was bad, it would take you three months. Three months. And Timothy was willing to travel maybe three months, give a quarter of a year of his life to go and minister to these people, to make sure that they were steadfast in the gospel, they were healthy, and they weren't discouraged, they were encouraged to continue in the faith. Epaphroditus took the same trip. He was sent by the Philippian church to go and minister to Paul because they had committed to continue to support him and minister to him. And so he went to, to complete what was lacking in the church's service to him. And he almost gave his life for it. He was so sick, he almost died, according to verse 27. It's an incredible, incredible sacrifice. Just the travel alone shows commitment. I was complaining because I had to travel 24 hours on my way to Ethiopia. And I had to sleep 16 hours or, or ride 16 hours in coach on a plane. I'm thinking, man, this is a, it's a pretty big commitment that I would do this, you know? But I would sacrifice so much. I was back within eight, these talk, we're talking three months. They were willing to give it their life to go one way, to minister for the sake of the gospel. What sacrifice? Epaphroditus was willing to give his life for the sake of the gospel. Why? Because they've seen a greater sacrifice. Isn't this Christ-like? Not just love, but sacrificial love. Jesus didn't almost give his life. He gave it fully. And then in their own mentor, Paul, he was willing to give his life for the sake of the gospel. When you've been moved by the love of Jesus, you're willing to give it all because he gave it all. It's a love that's birthed in us because of the way that we see Jesus loving us. We love him because he first loved us. Isn't it a shame that there are so many Christians who not only don't love the church, they don't love it sacrificially. How many, how many people come to church with their own interests in mind more than the interest of others and the interest of Jesus how many people come to church asking, how can the church serve me before they ask, how can I serve the church? They ask things like this. I, I'm not saying you, I'm saying generally, okay? So who's going to play the kind of music I like? I'll go to that church. Who's going to have the best entertainment for my kids? Who's going to have the easiest guest experience from the parking lot to the pew and the best signage? Who's going to get me out of service in under an hour so I can go back to my streaming Disney Plus? Right? Who's going to, who's going to meet my needs the best and, and serve me? Now, I want to be careful here. There is a sense in which we are gathering to serve needs. That's true. There's a, there's a benefit to the church, and we see it in the life of Paul, right? He's encouraged by the people of God, and he hopes to hear news from them because he wants to be encouraged. There's a sense in which God has given us the church as a gift to meet legitimate needs. 
But here's the difference. That is not one way. No relationship can exist only in one direction. There's a mutuality that must take place in the church for it to be successful. As we mutually serve one another, all of us are benefited for the work of the gospel. That's the benefit of the church, right? We, we, we grow in our faith as followers of Christ. And then together, as we, as we walk forth in unity, we become a light to the world around us who are longing for the things that we are displaying as a fruit of the Spirit. The church doesn't work if all of us are only concerned with ourselves. The only way it works is if we are primarily, first and foremost, concerned with Jesus, secondly with others, and then with ourselves. That we're willing to love sacrificially the people of God for the purpose of God. Listen, we don't commit to a church because it asks the least of us. That doesn't reflect sacrificial love. We commit to a body of Christ because God calls us to her and to give ourselves to her, to use our gifts, our abilities, our talents for the sake of building her up, for the edification of God's people and for the furtherance of the gospel. That's why we come to a local Church, here's my question. Do you have sacrificial love for the church? Do you have genuine concern for the body of believers that leads you to long for the people of God? And when you're there, you're willing to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. Because that's Christ-like. It's clear that everything Paul has been challenging the church to become, these men embody. Not perfectly, but blamelessly. They are examples we can follow. And here's the good, they're kind of accessible, aren't they? They're like ordinary guys, these Timothy and Epaphrodite. I mean, Paul has offered himself as an example throughout the book of Philippians, but he's an apostle, right? I mean, he, he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and had this incredible experience, of course, Paul would be willing to give his life. But Timothy and Epaphroditus, especially maybe even Epaphroditus, are kind of just normal jokes. Normal guys, ordinary guys who in the ordinary course of life are teaching us what it is to strive after Christ-likeness. And here's what Paul is even more saying to us. You need men and women like this. You need godly men and women who are ahead of you in the faith, who can show you what it means to follow after Christ. And I'm sending Timothy and Epaphroditus to you. So look to their example. Look at how they are embodying everything that I've asked you to embody. Look at the love they have for the church. Look at the sacrifice they are willing to make for the sake of the church and the sake of the gospel. In a very real way, they are saying to live as Christ and to die as gain. So follow them as they follow Christ. Look to their example and then respond to it. As you look to them, you must respond to it. It's the second part of Paul's challenge to the church in this section. How should we respond? How should the Philippian church respond to these Christ-like examples? And how, how should we respond to the Christ-like examples God has given us in, in Scripture, but also the, the personal ones 
that live amongst us and, and walk with us in this life? How should we respond to these, these Christ-like examples? Well, firstly, we should see God's provision in them. Godly examples are gifts to the church. Mature believers, men and women in the faith, are gifts to you and to the church. They are stewards of the gospel, stewards of grace that are meant to multiply themselves into the church so that collectively all of us can walk after them as they walk after Christ. The church needs fathers and mothers in the faith. The church needs mature believers who can say, listen, here's how I followed Christ in this difficult situation. We need ordinary people, right? We need, we need people to say, hey, here's, here's the ex expectation of you as a husband. Here's the expectation of you as a father. Here's the expectation of you as a wife. Here's the expectation of you as a mother. Here's the expectation of you as a coworker. Here's the expectation of you as a neighbor. Here's the expectation of you as a single man or a single woman. Here's the expectation that God has placed upon you in your life at a current stage to be like Christ. And here's how you do it. We need, we need men and women who will allow people to come close so they can see the expectation of God lived out in real life under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Because it's difficult, guys, right? I mean, this is a tough thing that God has called us to. Now he's empowered us to do it. D.A. Carson said in, in his commentary on this this passage that Christianity is as much caught as it is taught. That's true. I think about my own life, how, how many godly examples God gave me to help me grow, to know what it was like to follow Jesus. I think about my parents, my mom's here today. And I think about the godly example that I had in my household. I'm so grateful that the faith my parents professed on Sunday, they lived out Monday to Saturday. There wasn't a conflict between what they lived or what they said and what they lived. And I, I'm, I'm so, I was so impressioned by that example. And it, it makes me feel the weight of what it is that God has called me to in my own home. Because I got two kids. And I know that they're going to be looking to me about what it means to be a godly man, what it means to be, to be a follower of Christ, to love their, their mom well, and that somehow they're going to learn about Christ's love for the church by how I love her. It's not just words, it's actions. Now, the actions can't be apart from words, but the words can't be apart from actions. And I think about the godly men in my life who have helped me know what it is to be a, a husband and a dad and a pastor and these, these godly examples that have been so such a gift to me. Those are not accidents, friends. They are gifts and provisions from God that we need to give thanks to him for. So here's, here's a question, Jared. How do I know who is worthy of following? How do I know who, who I should follow? Well, Francis Chan, when he was writing on this passage, said, look for a person that lives with joy. J-O-Y, it's an acrostic, okay? So look for someone who puts Jesus first, others second, and yourself third. 
Because someone who's living that way is a has a supernatural life. That's not natural. It's not ordinary to put yourself last. It's not ordinary to consider others and consider Jesus above yourself. And if you find someone who's living with that kind of joy, who's living with that kind of Christ-likeness, and you see things in them that remind you of Jesus, and you would like to see in your own life, then just walk up and say, hey, can I walk after you a little bit? Can, I, can you help me know how you've put this into practice? And it is the purpose of the church to be about that work. It's called discipleship. And the second thing that he says is not only should we consider them as God's provision and follow them, take advantage of them, the second thing that we should do is we should honor them. Receive, verse 29, receive him, Epaphroditus, and the Lord with all joy, and honor such men who nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Not only do we follow them, we should honor them. You know, we don't really do honor very well these days, I don't think. I think we could do better at it anyway, and certainly better for the right reasons. I, I think there's, especially in the church, there's always this tension between honoring and humility, and anybody that's ever honored, who's probably worthy of honor, feels uncomfortable about the honor, and so we just resist it, like, don't, don't make much of me, don't put me up here, because ultimately it's Christ. That's the whole reason why they should be honored, because it's unnatural, but it's also what we desire to see happen in our church. Here's, here's what usually happens. Typically, we honor the people who have the most talent. Oh my, did you hear Kurt's voice today? Oh, it was like butter, you know, like, or did you, did you, did you hear, did you hear Panda's guitar solo today? Did you hear Caleb playing the drums today? Oh, weren't they, they were so, we should honor their skill. We should honor them because you know, we're a little jealous of it. Who didn't want to play drums like Caleb played drums today? So we honor that. We honor the skill. We honor the voice. We, we honor people because of their money. They got money, a lot of money. They, they're honored. Why? Because honestly, in our flesh, in our heart of hearts, we want to know how they made the money because we like the money. We honor people who have influence in our city who can get things done. And here's what I want to push back on us with this morning. When we honor people in that way, we are honoring according to a worldly standard. We're not honoring according to a godly standard. Who looks like Jesus? Let's make much of that. Because when we do, it will be multiplied amongst our people. You magnify what you want to multiply. You make much of what you want to see more of. And we have a responsibility as a church to do that, to help our people know, here's someone you can follow. Here's someone that's worthy of, of getting close. Because you know, not everybody has, has stuff in their life they need to multiply. Some people don't need to multiply at all because if it multiplied, it would destroy the church. They need to follow somebody for a little bit to get that stuff worked out. And then they need to call people close. And we need to help the church know, here's who you can follow. Finally, we desire to be a godly example. It's kind of full circle here, this story of Timothy. 
You know, Timothy has been walking with, G, with, with, with Paul for a while, and so much so that, that Paul considers him to be a son in the faith. And now he's sending Timothy out. So here's the question. How is Timothy able to go and minister to the church in Philippi? Because Paul poured into him. And now Timothy is going to invest in the church in Philippi because he was invested in by Paul. The way the gospel goes forward is through this kind of multiplication. The way that Christ's likeness moves, not just outwardly, but throughout the generations until Christ returns, is that we pour into others what has been poured into us. And so if you have been invested in, and chances are, if you've been in the church long enough, you've been invested by someone. If you've been invested in, eventually there's a stewardship expectation on you for what's been entrusted to you that then you entrust to someone else. And so let me just encourage you this morning. If you would say, Jared, I don't think that I would be worthy of writing about. I don't think that my life is Christ-like enough to be multiplied. Well, guess what? It's time for you to go find someone who is so you could walk after them. Because at some point, God's going to expect you to be that for someone else. And you need to be preparing today for the moment when he raises someone up behind you who wants to walk after you to be more like Jesus. And remember, at the end of the day, we're not the focus, right? The, the goal of being like this is not to say, hey, everyone, come look how good a Christian I am, right? At the end of the day, the only way you know whether or not you're actually ready to be followed is if the whole time you're pointing people to Jesus. Follow me as I follow Christ. Because here's the deal, guys. Paul was imperfect. Timothy was imperfect. Epaphroditus was imperfect. I am imperfect. Your staff are imperfect. Your ABF leader, your CBF leader, your SBF leader, all your Bible fellowship leaders, they are imperfect people. Your mom, your dad, your aunt, your uncle, your grandma, your grandpa, all of them imperfect people and none of them died for you. They're not to be worshipped. They're not to be followed without qualification. But they are gifts to you if they help you in their journey to become more like Jesus. So how should we respond this morning? Let me ask you, do you love the people of God? Let's look at the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus. Do you love the people of God? Do you have genuine concern for the health of this body? For the unity of this body? Do you long to be a part of this body when you're separated from them? Or is this just something that you just decide to do on a whim on a Sunday morning? Wake up enough. You wake up early enough, you know. The weather's good enough outside. I think I'll go today. When you miss, do you long? If you don't have that kind of love, that should be a, a spiritual marker for you, a gauge that says something's wrong. Because if you follow Christ and you love Jesus, you should love his bride. The greater question could be, if you don't have that kind of love for the church, do you have love for Jesus? 
And if you're not sure about that, in just a minute, we'll have some pastors and ministers here in the front. We'd love to talk with you about Christ and what he's done for you. The love that God has shown you through Christ and the provision that he's made for you. Do you love the church? And are you willing to sacrifice for the church? Is it gotta be your way or the highway? Are you committed to serving the church? Because this thing does not work unless we're all willing to sacrifice for the greater good. And finally, are you an example? Are you a godly example? Do you need to grow in that? Let us help you. Find someone who can pour into you. Have you been invested in? If so, are you now investing in others? It's, it's part of the church. It's the design of the church. It's how it works. What's been entrusted to us, we entrust to other faithful men and women who can entrust it to others also. It's not just for us, it's for everyone. This gospel. Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Spend some time asking the Lord to help you know how to respond to this travelogue. Oh, I hope you love the church. I know some of you maybe in the room have been bit because sheep bite. You've been hurt by the church maybe, but ah. Oh. Don't let those, those moments make you miss the larger good. The benefit for you spiritually, the benefit for the world. Find encouragement in the church. Be, be part of the church. Love the church. Because you want to be more like Jesus who loved the church. Sacrifice for the church. And part of that sacrifice is pouring yourself out. Have you been poured into? If not, you need to be poured into. If you have been, it's time to start pouring out. Father, help us to learn from these godly examples. Thank you for the gift they are to the church, not only in this text, but in our life. I'm praying even now you would just, in the minds of our people, bring to mind one or two people that have been these kind of godly examples. That we would give thanks to you for them and that even maybe this week, we would personally give thanks to them. And that they would help us, that the reality of this gift would help us love the church more. And Father, may we evaluate our own lives. Could we honestly say, come follow me as I follow Christ, and it would be to, to the benefit of someone to do that. If not, would you help us find someone to follow so that then we can follow, we can have someone follow us as we all ultimately follow you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You stand and respond as the Lord lead. Brother Kurt.